0: All right, Grove, we are in week 31 of this series in the book of Acts called Our Hearts Burn Within. Now, you might think 31 weeks is a long time to be in one book. I am wondering if it is enough time for us. We still have a few weeks left, and here's the test for us, the Acts is this book where if you want to really know what authentic Christianity is, there's no better place to look than the book of Acts, right? But the book of Acts also has a goal for you. The goal for the readers of the book of Acts is to get you to realize that you are called to bring heaven to earth. And you have these words about the truth of Jesus that are meant to be life-giving and that when you believe them, not only does it change you, but now you have been wired into the type of person who calls others into this beautiful belief that you have. And so so the test is, have we stepped into that? There's a um, old dead pastor, his name is Martin Luther. And one of his congregation members said to him, uh, Pastor Martin, when are you gonna stop talking about the gospel? Every week you talk about the gospel. When are you gonna stop? And he said, I will stop when you begin to live like you believe it's true. And, and so this that statement tells us so much about the human heart. That belief shapes our behaviors. Belief shapes our actions. So that means that the degree that you believe that this is true about Christ is the degree that you will call others into this beautiful belief. And, and here's the, here is the, the mystery of the gospel. You, you know, often we approach the gospel like, okay, this is what saves me, this truth about Jesus, but now to grow, I need to try harder. But the reality is that the gospel saves and transforms, so you need to hear it all the time. It's just good news that constantly needs to be in your ears. And when it is, this is what happens. You believe more. Because a mistake you could make right now is you could say, well, I believe enough. I believe. You know, here, here's, your, here's your problem. You believe to hear. And if you believe to hear, that's the degree that you have just been transformed. So belief will transform you. And so what that means is your kids, you know what they need the most from you? For you to go have these Beautiful experiences with God. To climb the mountain to be with him so you can come back down the mountain and help them up this mountain to know God and be known by him. And it's the same thing with your friends. It's the same thing with your coworkers. So what we're gonna look at today is how to believe. And again, if you are a Christian, a mistake you would make is to think, well, I already believe. Yes, you believe this much, but you you could believe up to this much and then you'll be transformed. So we're gonna look at five paths toward belief. Here are the five paths. Longing, guilt, pain, evidence, and joy. Longing, guilt, pain, evidence, and joy. All right, let me read to you our verses. We're gonna be in chapter 26 today, and I'm gonna read verses 13 through 29. I'm losing my voice a little bit, so if it cracks, don't laugh at me, because it will hurt my feelings a lot. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might come, might become such as I am, except for these chains. All right, before we get to our first point, again, we're doing Q&A at the end of the sermon. So if you have questions that you have throughout the sermon, my number should be up there for you to text. You can just text it into me. Um, if you don't already have my number, it's, it should be up there on the screen. And so you know, real quick, before we jump all the way in, Paul has been in prison for two years. Last week, he had not been in a prison, so we pick up two years later, and Paul's probably ready to get out. But instead of making a defense for himself, he makes a defense for Christianity. For him, everything is about getting everyone to believe. So our first path to belief is the path to longing. Now, what this means is, if you follow the longings in you, if you really follow them, They're like clues that get you to the door of faith and then you start knocking on it. Now, if we think about our longings, throughout the years that I've been in ministry, um, there are all these polls that are always being done. And the polls are trying to figure out what we want as humans, like what are our longings? And there's three things that always stick out. We want to know our identity, we wanna know a purpose, and we wanna know where we belong. So our identity, our purpose, and where we belong. So in other words, who who am I, where do I fit in, where do I belong to, and what's my purpose while I'm here? Like I don't wanna waste my life. And this verse in verse 18 says, a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Every deep longing in you is right here in these verses. Because when it says a place, the Greek word for it, it means a home in like a ministry. So you have this home and this place where you belong and you have a purpose in that. And then it says among those. So you have a people to belong to also like a tribe. And then it says we've been sanctified, the Christian, which means we have been brought up into the heavenly places. Now reformed and made of the stuff of heaven, but then brought back down to the earth. So like a tribe of heaven that now live on the earth that are bringing heaven to the earth. So here's the Christian experience. Like if you're not a Christian and you want to know what to expect, here's what to expect. If you are, here here has been your journey. Before you're a Christian, you're in your earthly home and you have these longings for more. So you open up this door and you go out on an adventure to go seek home. But as soon as you get out the door, what you realize is that you don't know the way. In fact, there's all of these roads, and the roads are filled with rocks that you keep tripping over and bushes and thorns that you keep getting caught up in, and and you you, you get desperate because you can't find the way. And then the one from the top of the mountain, the king, the God, comes down, and he finds you on the road, lost, a wandering pilgrim. And he takes you up as, your, as his own, and he brings you up to the top of the mountain. And there you experience God. Now, here's what you need to know with that. Christianity is one long journey home. However, it's also a that, there and back again adventure, which means you're going to be having these mountaintop experiences with God. You've, you've gotten to the glimmers of heaven. You've, you've tasted something beyond this world. But then it's like you get plucked back away from it, like you get pulled back down to the earth. And what's happening where you're like, no, I want this to last forever. What's going on is you've been brought back down here and you've been brought here to do something, to make a difference. The mountaintop experience was meant for you to come down here and make a difference in this world, to not waste your life. Uh, You know, and then this is where you're like, okay, well, David, give me some practical ways that teach me how to go have this mountaintop experience and then come down and change the world. And that would be really boring for me to do. And it would be a disservice for you because here's what you really need. You need to to not depend on me right now and go up the mountain to experience God in his word and in prayer. And you need to just stay there and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you really want me to do? You take all your experiences and all your hopes and your desires and you just mingle them all around with God and then you don't stop there. Then you bring your family up with you and say, God, what do you want us to do with this life that you've given us? And then you take your friends up and you say, God, what do you want us to do with this life that you've given us? And you come back down the mountain and you do it. And what this means is your longing is driving you up the mountain and then back down to change the world around you, to change your home to change your workplace. You have been saved to save. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You have experienced the glimmers of heaven to bring them back down. The door of everything you want and dream of has been opened to you, so you now know how to open the door for others. So you follow these longings and they lead you right to, like. it's like everything is this beacon saying believe, and all your longings are satisfied. So that's the first road, or the first path. The second path is this difficult path that you have to take through your guilt. You say, David, you're telling me that my guilt will lead me to God? And I say, oh yes, my friend. And, and before you, before you stiff arm me, and before you say, David, my therapist told me that I shouldn't think too much about my guilt, because if I do, I'm gonna spiral. And before you say, David, no, you don't understand. It's not guilt. I've had a hard life. I've had pain. And my pain is making me do the things that I'm doing. Or you say, my life's just been so hard and I'm just acting out in this pain. Um, Here's what I say to that. I agree with you. I think you have been wounded. I think your life has been hard. And I think you are acting out in pain. I think guilt will make you spiral. And I think your therapist is right. You need freedom from guilt. So what am I saying? I'm saying you can't make up phony baloney ways of running from your guilt. And you can't take your guilt and stuff it down and ignore it, stuff it down in your soul because if you do, it's gonna fester. And it's going to stink and it's going to grow and it's going to become a plague in your life. You have no idea how much guilt and shame are controlling you right now. And so what you need is not to pretend like it's not there. What you need is to, is to have God in his tenderness hold you by your face and just like tenderly hold you and say, you are forgiven and you are loved And you are cherished and there's not a thing you can do or not do that's gonna make me love you any more or any less because my son has gone to the cross for you and he has died and he has risen to deal with your sins. So everything is gonna be okay. And you know what that does? That lets you look at your guilt and be honest about it and and not run from it but it, it it allows you to be courageous. So here's what your experience is like. And becoming a Christian. And then even growing as a Christian after you sin. Because our sins are plaguing us still as Christians. You, you feel the weight of your sin. And then you're bold enough and courageous enough to look at them. And you say, oh no, where am I going to go with this? And you're feeling destroyed a bit by them. And then now God has, where you right, he has you right where he wants you. Because you're so thirsty for grace. And then he shows up to offer you this sweet, sweet grace. And you take it because you're finally ready for it because you're aware. The Christian experience is taking everything that you have felt shame about in your life and just giving it to Christ and say, it's yours. You deal with it. Here's my guilt. You deal with it. Here's all of my sin. It's yours. Take it. And he takes it. And he's crucified on the cross holding it. And you see, this is why anyone could belong to this tribe. Because it's not based on our merit. It's based on his merit. It's not based on your work. It's based on his work. All you must simply do is give him all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your sin. And he wears it on the cross. So it's gone. The next path, well, this is the beaten path of your pain, and God has woven it into your life. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow, but look, let me show you. Verse 14, Christ says to Paul on this road, in this experience that he has with God, it's hard to kick against the goads, Jesus says to Paul. Now, what does that mean? Well, when something is being goaded, there's a sharp stick, um, and the sharp stick is, is poked into the oxen to get the oxen moving in the right direction. Now, sometimes this oxen would be prideful, would be arrogant, would be angry, so the oxen would kick back. And what would happen is they'd get goaded even harder. And this is what happens with Paul. Paul is being goaded by God into belief. And what he's, what God has been doing is God has sent this amazing man named Stephen who is tender and courageous all at the same time. And he's standing for his faith and he's proclaiming his faith and Paul has him killed for it. So God keeps sending these people for Paul to, to see and to, to look at and to, to admire and then to, to say this, there's something more to this Christianity thing. But instead he keeps persecuting them. So then God takes the sharp stick and he pokes Paul right in the eye, and he blinds him. It's not in our story, but it's in the other stories. He pokes him right in the eye, and he blinds him to show him his spiritual blindness. Now, what does it feel like to be goaded by God for you? It feels like loving pain that is there to heal you. It's loving pain that's getting you moving towards Christ. I want to read to you something we read last week. This is in the, from the prophet Hosea. And we looked at it last week through the lens of the resurrection. But I want to look at it this week through the lens of your pain and this goading of God and what God is actually doing with you. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he might bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. This means every time that you're being goaded by God, like you're being poked, it hurts a bit. He's driving you to what will heal you. It's like this Japanese art called kintsugi. If a pot, like in pottery, if a pot breaks, this art would say, take all the pieces the broken pieces and put them back together with gold and you have these lines of gold all through this pottery and it makes it stronger than it was before the path towards being a person of strength and courage is the path through pain this is the pattern of christianity like it's the cross through the cross to the resurrection you don't just get resurrection you've got to go through the cross and It's the pattern that was set forth by our Lord and Savior. He says, this is my path and this is our path. Take up your cross and follow me. So it's through the pain that we get to transformation. The cross leads to resurrection and it's all done to, to heal you. Um, when I was a young lad, I got a herniated disc in my back. It was excruciating pain. For like three months, I was on the ground and standing up was, was absolutely horrible. But through this experience, um, I, had a, I had these sweet and tender moments with God that gave me joy. And um, my grandma Gloria said to me, she said, you know, David, I have a friend and she's in a lot of pain and she's actually praying that God doesn't take away the pain. Because what she's saying is that the pain has been driving her to God in a way that she's experiencing him like she never had before. This woman understood that it's through the pain that you find the cure. And it's not like we're like, like looking for the pain. It's just like when God is prodding us, we're listening. We're seeing what he's up to. And it's not just physical pain. It's emotional pain. Uh, the, the great pastor named Charles Spurgeon, who's called the Prince of Preachers, he, he was a man who suffered with Depression. But he also talks about these moments that he has with God that feels like so much joy is getting into him from these moments with God that he feels like if they don't stop, he's going to die. Now, here's what I think probably happened. It was his sorrow that led him to this place where he's depending so much on God that he has no other choice but to go running to him. And he runs to God, and he experiences the joy of the presence of God. And none of that would have come if he had not been depressed. None of it would have come if he didn't know deep sorrow. So what's happening in your life that's hurting? Like follow the pain. It might be God is prodding you right into the arms of Christ. Whether you've ever been a Christian for 40 years, he's prodding you in to a deeper understanding of who he is. And if you're not a Christian, he's prodding you. And you know, if you're stubborn like me, and like most of us, you start kicking back. And so what happens is he keeps prodding you harder because he loves you too much and he's not gonna let you run into the pits of hell. It's his way of chasing you. And you say, oh, I want something easier than that. Well, you're too stubborn, it seems. So, so pain is a path to belief. So you have longing, you have guilt, and you have pain, all paths to belief. And now that brings us to the evidence. Paul says to this king, King Agrippa, he says, the events of Christ were not done in a corner, which means they were out in the public for all to see. Everybody saw what happened to him. And there are over 500 eyewitnesses saying that they have seen him risen from the dead, not once, not twice, but multiple times from multiple different people. These appearances are happening. And then he says, in King Agrippa, you know the stories of the Old Testament. You know the prophets. And you know that the Christ has been called to come and suffer and die and rise. You know the story. But he doesn't believe. Now, last week, we looked at the events of Christ and the scriptures as evidence for the resurrection, and we're not gonna do that this week because we did it last week, but here's what I wanna to say to you about evidence. There is a way to take all this beautiful Christian evidence that this is true and use it to prove that it's not. There is a way for you to read the scriptures to prove it's wrong. There's a way for you to look at the story of the resurrection and say, see, it's not true. Now, why would somebody do that? Well, two reasons. One is you wanna stay in control of your life Now, let me tell you something, a problem that you have with a gracious God. If God sets a rule for you, like you have to be this good, and then you reach that mark, you could do whatever you want after that, just as long as you're staying right here. But if you have a God who is gracious, and he has a law that's up here that you can never reach, and he gives you that grace, well, it means... Well, what is the, 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 the first question of the catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism? You are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. This is the only comfort in life or death, it says. Meaning this, you belong to him. You say, well, I'm losing control. Yes, but now you are in control of a one who loves you and cherishes you. But that is terrifying because you lose control of your life, so you run from him. Okay, that's the first reason you want to prove Christianity isn't true. I mean, because if you look at the story, it's beautiful. This is everlasting joy. Why would you not want it? Second reason you want to prove that it's not true is because you have sin in your life that you don't want to let go. Uh, John Bunyan, um, a Puritan pastor, he said um, about God prayer, he said, we either choose God and run from our prayer or choose prayer with God and run from our sin or we choose our sin and run from God because you can't do both at the same time and and I feel this when I am running from God away from God um, away from prayer it's because there's a sin in my life that I don't want to get rid of in that moment and then I just go and ask for forgiveness later and then you say David what are these sins of yours say well there are too many to count but why don't you not worry about it Why don't you wonder, what is the sin that's keeping you from God? What's the sin that you don't want to let go of? What's that one thing that you're like, God, just look away, and he's saying, come to me. And you're like, I can't right now because there's this thing that I want to do. So what you do is you go to him and you say, God, this this is me. Like, I want to go do this, and I want this more than you right now. So you're going to have to deal with me. Help me. And you see, this is now, we're getting to the heart of what it means to be a human. See, evidence doesn't make a difference. Do you know why? Because your belief doesn't shape what you want. Your want shapes what you believe. Your beliefs don't shape what you want. Your wants shape what you believe. And this brings us to our last point, this pure and golden path to joy. What do you want most? I think everybody would say happiness for us and happiness for the people that we love. Um, you say, well, no, maybe, it's, maybe I'm chasing a purpose, purpose over happiness. Well, probably not because you're chasing that purpose because you think that purpose might lead to happiness for you. So if you're chasing after happiness, um, and if you want happiness more than other, any, uh, any other thing, and you aren't a Christian, here's what I would tell you you're not chasing happiness enough. If you seek after the heights of joy, I mean, I'm talking about the celestial glories of just walking into this room where you are enveloped by God and have all of this joy. If you aren't seeking something like that, the the never-ending joy, well, You're never going to arrive at God. But if you will seek that, what you're going to begin to do is run past everything this world has to offer right onto this door. Because everything else has fallen short of that. And you're knocking on this door and the door opens and you find it is the Christ. The door to joy, the pathway to joy is the path to him. If you'll take your desire for joy and turn it all the way up to 10, nothing in this world is going to give you what you seek but him. It's something beyond. Stop settling for lesser joys and dream of this joy that is never ending. Then you find yourself seeking the excellencies of Christ. So Paul presses in to two people here. He presses into Festus and he presses, presses into King Agrippa. And he's going up, Paul's going on, and then Festus shouts out with a loud voice, Paul, you're crazy. All this learning of yours is driving you mad. Now, that's interesting because Paul responds with, well, I've been giving you the facts. I've been giving you the evidence. In other words, Festus is telling him he's crazy. He's a lunatic. He's not looking at the facts while he's saying, I am looking at the facts. So what's going on with Festus is he just doesn't want to believe. And the same thing with King Agrippa. He turns to King Agrippa and he says, look at the evidence. You've seen it and you know it. Everything's adding up. And then King Agrippa says, Paul, would you convince me to be a Christian in so short a period of time? He's skating the question. He's avoiding it. He's running from God. Here's the difficulties with everything we've said so far leading up to joy. Your longing will not get you to him. Your guilt will not get you to him. The pain won't get you to him. And the evidence will not get you to him unless you have turned your desire for joy all the way up. Because if it's not all the way up, you'll settle for something less. And you don't need the evidence to settle for something less. You don't, you don't have to deal with your guilt to settle for something less. But if you're dreaming of something eternal, if you're really tapping into your longing, guilt stands in your way. You've got to have you got something to deal with it. Paul ran from God. So joy chased him down. What did I mean by that? Well, um, Jonathan Edwards helped us. So Paul has this experience on the road. And on this road, he gets to see this bright light that's blinding him. Now, Jonathan Edwards, in his... Treatment and how he says we find joy is this. He says, the glory of God is the beauty of God. And when you find yourself enveloped in his beauty, you have found yourself in a room of pure joy. In other words, the joy that you seek is a room with the excellencies of Christ. And which means you have to take your longing and let it lead you to him. You have to take your guilt and let it lead you to him. You have to take your pain and let it lead you to him, and the evidence, everything has to lead to him, and then you will be standing in this room of joy. Now, okay, how how does this happen for you? Well, the, the, the answer is you have to let him catch you. And you can't really stop him, but there is a sense where you do need to let him catch you. And when he catches you, what you will then find, finally realize, is that he was chasing joy, and his joy led him to you. In, in Hebrews, it says, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, meaning the cross was not his joy, was what was on the other side of it, you. So the cross, to go through it into death and up out of death and rise, gives him you, his prize, his treasure, his joy, and he took the same path that you had to take. He took a path and, and, and he, like, he groaned with these deep longings because on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only place that Jesus doesn't call God father because it's in that moment, the identity that he had all of his life as the firstborn son of God was stripped from him. And he cried out, with this community of the Father and the Spirit that he had known for all of eternity to comfort him, only he found himself completely alone, forsaken, abandoned. And in that moment, he then took on our guilt because it was his purpose to do this. He takes on all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin, and when he takes it on, he is crushed unto death and into hell. And he rises so that... Every, he goes through the pain so that every time you go through pain, it doesn't drive you into the pits of hell and into death, but it transforms you. The worst thing that can happen to you, death, is what will transform you the most, which means every bit of pain you experience in this life, it's transforming you. Because he has broken the seal that when pain comes, it doesn't do what it did to you before, but it can only transform you. The evidence all points to him. Turn everything you want up, all the way up to 10, and you'll go running into his arms. There's a, there's a song, I meant to tell you this earlier, that I've been listening to. It's a brilliant song, and it says, I'm choosing joy in the moment instead of tripping over proof. Now, At The Grove, we prize reason. We're a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest wrestling with faith and doubt. Like Reason is a path to faith. But in the end, at our core, what we really are is a community of people who just want to dream of a joy that is beyond this world. And we have settled on the fact that nothing will deliver that joy except for Christ. And so we have knocked on the door and he has opened it and welcomed us in. So just pick joy. Stop tripping over your longing. Stop tripping over guilt that makes you run from him. Stop tripping over the pain that makes you shake your fist at God saying, how can you do this to me? And stop tripping over the evidence, whether it's right or wrong and just Run for joy and you will find him. And then everything else will add up. Let's pray. God, help stir in us a longing for joy. A longing so great that we do run past everything this world offers us. Knowing that you are what we seek. You've put that in us help us not ignore it but chase it dream of it dare for it and go out on this adventure and then when we get lost on this adventure come find us and bring us home in Jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to the grove church message podcast like us on your favorite podcast provider follow our social media at the grove church official and check out our website thegrovechurch.co